I have the honor, privilege, pleasure of speaking to Felix Zuloff. Felix, welcome to Forward Guidance. My pleasure. Thank you very much for inviting me, Jack. Felix, you've been through a lot of market cycles. You are a veteran, made a lot of bold, contrarian calls. When you look at the current macro environment, does anything compare to what you've seen previously? Or is it sort of like, uh, you know, we, you know, is it we've seen this movie before or is it something completely unprecedented? Well, every cycle uh, is different, but uh, there are characteristics in the cycle that are similar. Uh, like uh, tightening uh, of central banks, uh, like uh, surprises uh, on the inflation rate, uh, commodities, uh, etc. That are very similar. But I think this cycle is unique because what we have seen in the cycle coming to this point is uh, a stimulus uh, on the uh, degree never seen before. And that makes this cycle more unique and more dangerous, more powerful, and probably lasting a little bit longer than many think. But it could be that we are now entering the more volatile part of the cycle. So I think uh, 22 will be a year of uh, high volatility, both down and up. And uh, the next few years will be very interesting. And I do believe that we are not very far, maybe two years or so away from the end of the long secular cycle. Uh, but we we can get into that uh, later in the discussion. Yeah, and that unique fiscal stimulus that you talked about, does that tie in with your thesis on bonds, which has changed? In 1981, you wrote a, a report called The Buy of a Generation, talking about bonds. And if you look at the chart of bond yield since 1981, very well timed. Last year, you wrote a report called The Sell of a Generation, talking about bonds. What made you change your view? Well, in in the late 70s and early 80s, uh, Paul Walker was called into the Fed uh, to uh, break inflation. And he did that by tightening the supply of money to the economic system. And it worked. Uh, it squeezed uh, the economy. Uh, he put the, the U.S. economy uh, into a recession twice within two years. Uh, he was very dedicated. Uh, real interest rates uh, shot up uh, tremendously. And what you have now is just about the reverse. I mean, it started all with Ben Bernanke, who thought uh, we have to go to zero interest rates and we have to expand the, the central bank balance sheets by huge amounts, which uh, central banks all of a sudden did around the world. And we have now um, uh, very deeply negative interest rates, just the reverse of what we had in 81. And I think we are coming to the point where central banks eventually cannot escape anymore. Uh, they, can, uh, they cannot let it run uh, forever because if they do, then we would go into um, a hyperinflation at some point of time. And, and I do not believe that they will allow that uh, to happen. So I, I think it's just about the inverse or the reverse of what we have seen in the early 80s. And you have to keep in mind that um, interest rate peaks um, are, um, how do you say, they are happening in a short period of time and they are spiky, whereas interest rate bottoms are drawn out over many years and are source of type of patterns. And I think that's where we are 
we are near the end of that uh, source of pattern in, in long-term bond yields and in short-term interest rates. And how are you thinking about that tactically? I, I know a little over a year ago you, you were saying, I've reduced my duration ex- exposure, but, you know, but I'm not, I haven't started shorting bonds yet. Uh, you know, that was a good call. Obviously, bond yields have uh, risen um, uh, over that period of time, especially from like November to February. But over the past months, we've seen a little bit of the flattening in the yield curve, at least in the U.S. How are you sort of thinking tactically about, about long-duration bonds, and in particular, the relationship with, with inflation, I might add? I, I, I do expect uh, inflation uh, to peak uh, in the first quarter and then to soften maybe down to 3 or 4% uh, during 22 before starting the next up leg in inflation. Uh, my expectation is that um, uh, the um, uh, financial um, market situation will be such that we will be facing a big decline in uh, equity prices and uh, correction in commodity prices in the first half of 22. And I think it could be at the degree that the authorities could uh, panic and, uh, and come out again with renewed stimulus. And I think during the declining phase, the first half of uh, 22, uh, tactically, I would rather be long uh, duration, uh, long, long duration. And so I think uh, bond yields could uh, retreat some, somewhat more. Maybe, maybe the 10-year bond yield could go down to um, 1% or slightly below that. But uh, that is tactically only. Uh, and, and sometimes around mid-year or so, I would think then we will start to see the next uh, up leg in the economy, an improving economy in 23 and 24. Uh, I, uh, I think uh, commodities will go uh, very wild. Uh, you know, maybe crude oil goes first to $50, but then in 24, I expect it to trade at 200. And, uh, and I would not be surprised to see the CPI in 24 trading at uh, uh, 10% or even even above that. And, uh, and bond yields from uh, the second half of 22 on will rise in a more sustainable way. And that will eventually, with the central banks that cannot escape the tightening in 24, will eventually break uh, the bull market and terminate the bull market that started in 2009. Uh, and uh, and that will probably uh, shake the whole house of cards that we have built over the last ten years in the in the economy and the financial system. That's so interesting, Felix. So long term, you have a a, a a bearish view on bonds, but in the short term, you think some of these reflation trades could get flushed out. You mentioned commodities. You, you talked about uh, oil. Um, what are your, what are your outlook on other commodities? I know you've been constructive on uh, commodities in the agricultural sector and also precious metals such as gold and silver. Well, over two to three years in the agricultural uh, part, uh, I'm, I'm very bullish because I, unlike um, the, um, the uh, common narrative, I think the climate will uh, be cooling and not warming. And, and I think that will contribute to uh, harvests that will be less good than expected. So lower harvests, and that means lower supply. And I think demand keeps growing because uh, the world population still keeps growing. And that creates uh, upside pressure 
in the in the agricultural commodity environment. On the metal side, uh, and, and actually similar on the um, uh, fossil fuel side, uh, oil and uh, natural gas, we have seen a bear market for many years. And during the bear market and bashing those industries because it's so bad for world climate and whatsoever, investments in those industries have declined considerably. And there is an underinvestment situation where we have a capacity problem. So we are supply on, uh, we are short on uh, capacity supply. And, and I think this creates a, a shortage situation whenever demand uh, picks up a little bit. It doesn't have to be as robust as it was during the Chinese infrastructure boom. Uh, it's just a little bit higher uh, demand, a little bit of growth, and all you have is uh, rising um, uh, prices for base metals and so on. Uh, gold and silver are somewhat different. Uh, gold has uh, been suffering from the arrival of cryptos uh, because the cryptos have uh, starting to eat uh, gold's lunch uh, to some degree. <laughs> Uh, the the, the anti-fiat uh, market size is about 12.5 trillion when you value them, cryptos and gold. And uh, cryptos are now 2.5 trillion, so uh, that has taken a lot of the demand from away from the gold market. And I think that's why gold has not performed the way many expected, despite the fact that we had um, very deeply negative interest rates and uh, balance sheet expansion by central banks, uh, higher inflation rates, etc. Uh, gold has an eight-year cycle that is very pronounced, and the eight-year cycle starts to turn bullish in early 24, so that the years 24 to 28 should be super bullish. Uh, I do believe that uh, I had a sell signal on gold in August of 2020, and I turned um, uh, more cautious on gold, um, which was difficult to uh, relay to my um, friends who like gold a lot. Uh, they didn't understand me uh, to some degree. And, and I think there is a, a buy signal coming up in the first quarter uh, for gold. I would love to see gold um, uh, going down a little bit more maybe break uh, slightly below the 1720 lows that we have seen over the last uh, 12 months or so and shake out uh, the weak money. Uh, so the high 1600s, low 1700s, that would be a great entry point. And then I would uh, expect the uh, gold to rally back to the highs a little bit over 2000. But I'm not sure that is going to be the big bull run that is still ahead of us. I think that big bull run uh, will most likely only start in uh, late 23, early 24, when the stock market, when the stock market begins to top out and enter uh, probably the most serious bear market of our generation. Felix, you said that crypto is eating gold's lunch. I was speaking to a macro analyst recently who uh, proposed a trade which I found very striking. It was a short Bitcoin, long gold trade. What would you make of that setup? I wouldn't, I wouldn't do it. It could work out uh, in the short term, but uh, that is too risky uh, for me. Uh, of course, I see that Bitcoin could easily decline to 30,000 or so. 
but after hitting 30,000 in the scenario that I have in mind for the world and for financial markets, it could then rally to 120,000. And, uh, and I wouldn't like to short uh, an asset uh, class uh, that has that kind of volatility and particularly uh, not against gold over the next uh, uh, six or, or 12 months or so. I wouldn't do that. Felix, you talked about uh, how you were tactically bearish on gold to put out a note in August 2020. I know in October 2020, you said the, the technicals really weren't there. Despite the fact that I believe you are, in, in some sense, long-term constructive on gold, can you talk about just as an investor what it's like to have a long-term view, a long-term macro view that's one way, but then you have a tactical uh, view in terms of what you're seeing on the chart every day that's completely opposite? You know, in, let's say when you turned very bearish on the market in 1973, long-term that played out well, but I'm sure there was lots of times when the market exploded higher and people were saying, Felix, why, why are you so short? You know, likewise, when you were prepping for a, a huge sell-off in 1987, I, I know uh, that that was very tough as you know, going against the grain. So can you talk just about uh, how investors can sort of proceed when they have a long-term view, but the, the tacticals, the, the technicals just are, in the short term, are completely opposite. It's a good question because that uh, created lots of problems for me in the old days when I was working with colleagues uh, for a bank because I could be um, long-term bullish, medium-term bearish, and short-term bullish. And they, and they just didn't understand. Um, I, I work on several levels uh, at the same time. I bought my gold position at, uh, on average at about $300 in the early 2000s. I still uh, hold them and I trade against that uh, physical long position in the futures markets and my entry price is now in negative territory. So I'm, I'm very comfortable with that position. Uh, and, and you can only do that if you understand uh, markets, how markets work. Uh, there is a cycle, there are intermediate term uh, moves within the cycle and within the medium term moves, there are short term uh, uh, volatility moves. And, uh, and you have to decide which way you want to play the markets and which way you want to invest. And, and I, uh, for some items, I choose the long term. Uh, for equities and for um, gold and I hold them but I trade against them on a medium-term basis sometimes even a short-term basis but mostly on a medium-term basis and sometimes I'm wrong and, and then I cut my losses short and sometimes I'm right and, uh, and that's how I operate so uh, I'm looking for an opportunity to go long gold and that means I, I'm, I'm right right now I'm unhatched gold so I own a lot of gold and I'm looking for an opportunity to uh, double my position uh, through the futures markets when I see the buying opportunity sometimes in the first quarter uh, but then I will play only the medium term because the really long-term bull run four years or so 24 to 28 uh, that will be the time where you have to uh, sit tight and hold an aggressive position. We are not, uh, the way I look at the cycle in gold, we are not at that position yet. Felix, uh, you said that China is a really unique situation and that the mainstream narrative about China doesn't really get it right. What are your thoughts on China and why is it so important? Well, China is a very interesting uh, situation, first of all, because it's not so transparent and, and it's difficult to analyze. 
And secondly, there are a lot of similarities to Japan in 1990, the early 1990s. We have the demographic situation that is virtually the same as in Japan 30 years ago. Uh, we have a banking industry situation that is very similar to the Japanese situation at that time. The Chinese banking industry is maxed out in a way. They have an equity capital of 2%. Uh, they have a return on assets are about 2%. The official non-performing loan situation is uh, reported as about 2%, slightly below 2%. The unofficial one I consider to be much higher and therefore that means that the industry is not making any money but is actually losing money. If you lose money with a 2% equity capital in a situation where the real estate cycle is turning down, that's a very difficult and challenging uh, situation for the government. And the government, unlike uh, the Western governments, they do understand their own situation. They do understand and they are using the capitalist system uh, due to letting companies go bankrupt, let them restructure. They are doing all the right things. They will not let the real estate market collapse, but they will accompany it, which means instead of having a sharp shakeout like in 2008 to 10 in the US real estate market, we will probably have a five, six, seven year uh, drawn out affair uh, where the restructuring process goes on, accompanied and supported by the government and where the downside magnitude is mild, whereas the downside magnitude, if you let it drop, is very deep. And, and if you do that, if the Chinese do that, it means that they won't be able to play a locomotive function for the rest of the world. That means there are uh, huge imports that we have seen over the last uh, 15 years will not be there anymore. And that's a real problem for large export uh, economies like Europe um, or the emerging economies. And it, it, it means that uh, structurally, uh, the growth rate for the world, for the rest of the world, will be lowered by that. And the growth rate for China will be lowered by that. Uh, it's a deflationary process that is going on in China. The biggest asset um, uh, Chinese are invested uh, is different from the U.S. In the U.S., the biggest asset uh, uh, consumers are invested is equities. And then a big step down is uh, real estate, their own real estate. The home ownership rate in the US is around 60%, I believe, or 60, the low 60%. In, in China, it's, uh, it's uh, 95%, the home ownership rate. And, uh, and the assets the Chinese are invested because they cannot move their capital outside of the country, uh, only if they get the permission by the government, which is true for only a few of them. Uh, means that they hold 90% of their assets in real estate. And you also have to understand that 25% of the real estate that they have been built during the boom years are empty. They do not get you any return. And as long as prices went up, 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 up every year, and they have uh, in the last 20 years, I think they have gone up about uh, 300, 200% or so, uh, that's no problem. 
but when prices all of a sudden begin to creep down, uh, that's different. So I think this is a very powerful situation that speaks against major stimulus and the renewal of the credit boom, etc., like we have seen in the past. That's important. So I take it you're not bullish on Chinese equities. To, to what degree are you a bear? Are you considering shorting it? You know, definitely not shorting some company, that an individual company where you get sued in, in Hong Kong or something, but more of a macro short where you sort of just short uh, um, an index of Chinese stocks. Well, the Chinese stock market uh, today is um, at, at about the same point, I think, as in 2007. Uh, so it hasn't moved at all. Uh, and it's not expensive. And there are many good companies. And I think once the, uh, the Chinese uh, investors realize how problematic their one-sided investment in real estate is, there could be a shift at the margin into equity. So I'm not bearish the Chinese uh, stock market. I think in the general market decline, I expect in the first half, uh, Chinese and emerging markets in general uh, that have gone sideways or down over the last few years, will hold up much better than the uh, major markets and they could be in for a good surprise thereafter. Uh, it's too early to recommend them on the long side, but I, I would watch out. And just to be clear, Felix, that is more on a longer term view, because in the short term, you know, the more volatile period you see over the next six months where commodities get get crushed, that's typically not good for emerging markets. That's right. right. That's right. Yes. Okay, um, thank you for that. Felix, over the next six months where you, you expect it to be a little bit choppy, uh, what's your outlook on equities in the developed markets and specifically the value versus growth dynamic? You, typically, when the economy is slowing, you have uh, value stocks getting hit. But actually, this time around, it is the very expensive growthy names uh, who are taking it on the chin. What are, you, what are you making of that? And what do you see going forward for the value versus growth spread? Well, I think uh, the first half, at least, of 22, will look uh, just about the inverse of the last two years. Uh, we have uh, an economy that will soften, that will uh, disappoint, uh, because growth rates will be far below the expected uh, 4 to 5% growth uh, of the consensus. And, uh, and due to the fact that we had a fiscal push on the upside and retail sales in, in the U.S. have gone 16% above the pre-pandemic trend line. And, and the historic experience is if, if you have such a deviation on the upside or the downside, you correct after a while. And this time we correct to the downside, which will weaken the economy. Then you have a fiscal impulse that is for the industrialized economies about a negative 4%. So I think there is a lot of things to, that add up on the negative side for the economy. Then on the monetary policy, uh, we added, the Fed uh, alone added over the last two years about $4 trillion to the, to the credit system. That won't happen again. Uh, they are going to taper. And, uh, and, and that's changing. The U.S. Treasury has reduced its account at the Fed from 1.8 trillion to 140 billion. And their uh, goal is to get it back to 550 billion. Now, if you reduce that account, you inject liquidity into the credit system, which was tremendous on top of the QE that we had going on. 
And if you go back to 550 billion as a goal, that means you soak out uh, about 400 billion of dollars. And then what many people forget is the international liquidity situation. The Chinese, what I realized is that China is not recycling its trade surplus anymore. They are not buying U.S. treasuries anymore. What they are doing with the money, and I get that from the banking statistics in the U.S., they are repaying their U.S. dollar-denominated loans. Now, you have to understand, if you make a loan, you create more loans, more credit, and more liquidity. Now, if you shrink the loans, it's just the opposite. So I think that global U.S. dollar liquidity, which is the dominating force for financial markets, is really going in the wrong direction. And you see it when you look at the global M2 aggregate expressed in, uh, in U.S. dollars. It has now dropped from 20% growth to 7% growth, and the trend continues falling. Uh, so I think the international liquidity situation is deteriorating. And, and on top of that, you will get the U.S. liquidity situation that so far has been very good uh, going to deteriorate. And that adds to the problem that it could hit uh, equity markets. Now, equity markets usually have a correction of 5 8% or maybe 10 or 12% or whatever. But the problem is that we have had uh, tremendous excess on the upside. Uh, over the last 12 months, we saw... $1.1 trillion moving into equities and equity products. Uh, that is about as much as in the 20 years uh, before combined. And, and that is an excess of, uh, of once in a century. And, and when you have that, and when you look at the margin position that are on record levels and, 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 and the speculation that is going on, uh, it obviously could exaggerate the correction from 10 to 12% all of a sudden to 20, 25 or 30 percent. So that's what I'm expecting. I'm expecting a much deeper correction. What will correct more than the others? Well, in the small caps and medium term, medium caps, you see that uh, growth is correcting more than value already. So value is outperforming, but that's outperforming on the downside in the general trend. When you look at the NASDAQ um, uh, index, you see that 65% um, of the stocks traded have already declined 20% or more. And 37% have declined 50% or more. And you know, Cassie Wood's arc uh, is down 40%. That's where the growth, the fantasy for the next uh, generation is. So uh, the the correction is already happening underneath the indices. And, and what it means is that the generals are marching in one direction and um, the um, uh, infantry is moving backwards and in the other direction. You cannot win a war uh, with such a situation. And therefore, I think the generals will eventually join the rest of the market and uh, the weak breath uh, has been a harbinger of this. And, and I believe that um, growth where the excesses are the most extreme will correct more. However, having said that, when this correction is over, maybe we trade down to uh, 3,000 in the S&P. I do expect the central banks to come in again with large stimulation, uh, fiscal uh, authorities also, 
and we have another upside. And I do expect uh, the market to double from there uh, into 24. Uh, so it's going to be a roller coaster over the next few years. And, and I think this is very important for all those who um, like uh, buy and hold passive type of strategy. The passive st strategy worked extremely well in the last uh, cycle uh, since 2009. But I think the next 10 years will be very different. And the passive strategy will be very disappointing. Actually, if you look at current valuations and you use past numbers, what that means for the future for the next 10 years, uh, the average uh, real return on world equities in US dollars and on US equities in US dollars is near zero. Uh, so I think for the next 10 years, you have to be a timer for the cycle and also select the right stocks. Um, if you take the famous six stocks, uh, Facebook, Alphabet, Apple, Amazon, Microsoft, uh, Netflix. Uh, then you see uh, since 2007, they have gone up 1300%. And the S&P has gone up 215%. And the world XUS has gone up 15% only. So this, those six stocks made all the difference. And, and I think this is important to understand. The, the other 494 stocks didn't go up by 1,300%, but by 215%. So stock selection and cycle timing will become more important again. And there are not um, many around who have uh, performed their work in the markets, uh, except for a few old timers like me who know how to time a cycle. <laughs> wow, when you said um, volatile, uh, you really meant it. Going S and P to uh, five hundred to three thousand, and then doubling from there. So, so it sounds like uh, you're the least constructive and perhaps bearish on the very growthy names trading at high premiums, high price to sales, high price to earnings, if they have earnings at all. When it comes to sectors, what are you most constructive on? The traditional playbook is when you're going into an uncertain period, you might want to go overweight something like utilities, something like consumer staples, things that aren't super tied to the economy and just stocks that, that are less volatile. Uh, do you uh, uh, believe that, that, that to be true? Well, in, in, in the declining um, uh, market into, let's say, mid-22, uh, and I do not know whether it's uh, May or August where we, where we uh, see the low, uh, during that period, you want to uh, either own long-term treasuries, 30-year treasuries, uh, that should do well. Uh, you want to own defensive uh, stocks like utilities, like consumer staples, like the Nestle's and the Procter & Gamble's uh, of this world because they decline less than the market. So that's for those who have to be in the market and they have to buy something and then you want to own the defensive stocks and you keep away from the cyclicals and the very high growth names. Now, when you hit the low, you just reverse. Then I think those growth names will come back again. Uh, despite rising interest rates, I think uh, the Nifty uh, uh, 6 or the Nifty 20 will come back again and outperform on the way up. But on top of that, you will have a few segments of the value part that should also do well. I think um, uh, those uh, value stocks that are related to 
the commodity uh, uh, sector, uh, like uh, copper producers, like uh, oil producers, uh, like oil service companies, etc., they should do very well and outperform the index. Uh, I think a few of the financials, uh, when you see uh, bond yields rising, when you see the spread for them rising, etc., should also should also do well. Uh, it's too early to uh, hit the table and pound the table very much on it, but we will be there sometimes in 22 when I will pound the table. Felix, earlier you talked about a deterioration of liquidity over the next six months. To what degree do you think the Fed and the ECB will play a role in that? How severe are the pressures on Christine Lagarde? Jerome Powell. And uh, to what, you know, the base case uh, seems to be that the Federal Reserve will taper, might accelerate its tapering of its balance sheet, and it it, uh, will achieve, you know, two, three, maybe even four rate hikes next year. Uh, Is your view, they'll do more, they'll do that, or or they'll do less? And to what degree, you know, will will that, you know, derail the the bull market? I think their plan is to eventually start uh, hiking the rates in, in the U.S., uh, but I do not expect them to really uh, hike them because the markets will uh, march according to a different uh, uh, playbook and, and therefore they cannot hike. What they will do is I think they will taper a little bit more aggressively than what they originally announced and that will be uh, doing the trick that I'm expecting from them. It will deteriorate the liquidity situation. But I think they have to move and do something. The inflation situation is just too ridiculous for them to still call on permanent inflation, etc. They have been plain wrong and nobody likes to admit it. And they have to do something to not lose uh, full credibility. The ECB is a different situation. I think since Draghi, the ECB has lost all credibility. I think it is the worst central bank by far. Uh, all they do with their monetary policy is uh, is procrastinating the bankruptcy of uh, several governments, uh, and they have no goal for stability, etc., etc. When you listen to those guys, uh, the six directors of the ECB, what they say about inflation is just ridiculous. They are not credible anymore, and and therefore the euro is uh, structurally a very weak uh, currency like the dollar is. The only uh, plus uh, the euro has is that uh, the trade surp- there is a trade surplus, a chronic trade surplus, where the US dollar has a chronic uh, uh, deficit in the current account. Uh, I do expect the US dollar to top uh, sometimes in the first half of next year. It could be the first quarter and then to decline. But the real decline will only really start in 24. Uh, and then it could be uh, very ugly, uh, together with my uh, big scenario that I that I outlined. Mm. Wow, uh, Felix, this is all so interesting. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure getting the chance to interview you. I really, really appreciate it. Felix, my final question for you is, you have a Twitter account, I believe, but you have never made a tweet. What do you think is going to more likely to happen first? The S&P 500 going to 5,000 or are you put, putting on a first tweet? Well, I think that Twitter account is not my account. I think it's a fake account uh, put on by somebody else. 
and uh, I don't see. Uh, I, I think the S and P will hit five thousand uh, before I before I send out the tweet. I I won't. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that, that's that's good to know. I think two thousand people follow you because they have so much respect for you, despite the fact that yeah, the account has never posted a tweet. But it's good it's, to know it's not you. It's it's not me. It's not me. I I think if I really would tweet. I had more than 2,000 followers. <laughs> oh, for sure. For sure. Well, Felix, thank you for sharing your prescient calls with us. Uh, very generous with your time and insights. We really appreciate it. You know, for folks at home who are listening and say, wow, Felix, such a brilliant investor. Can I invest my money with him? The answer is no, Felix. You, know, you run your own family office. However, you do have a consulting uh, firm, Zuloff um, Consulting. Uh, so if, if people want, wanting want to get more of your analysis, they can uh, uh, reach out. That's right. Thank you very much, Jack, for having me. It's been a real pleasure. And uh, those people who want to um, uh, get in touch, uh, it's felixzulauf.com. Very simple. Thank you, Felix. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Pleasure is all mine.